The decision makers that run companies and their investors are vital in enabling positive environmental and social changes. Pension scheme trustees have a role to play in engaging with leaders and making sure that they're exposed to the right people when trying to achieve their scheme's ESG goals. My name is Alex Janiel, and I'm the Deputy Editor at Pensions Expert. To discuss leadership and ESG transformation, I'm joined by Therese Nicholson, Global Head of Sustainable Investment at Newton Investment Management, and Hilke Komalainen, Head of Responsible Investment at Aegon. Welcome to you both. Therese, what does leadership mean to you? Well, I think leadership sometimes can be confused with senior positions or or people who are senior in organizations. But I think it's so much more than that. I think you have leadership at every level in an organization. And I think it's, uh, it's more about individuals who are willing and able to take initiative, uh, individuals who get fellowship, and simply people, I think, who have a desire to do better. And I think those kind of people should be encouraged and supported as leaders, regardless of, of where they operate in the firm. Hilke, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, the, what I would add is that I'd really add a point about taking responsibility and doing your part, which applies at all levels. I mean, leadership today is all about dealing with complexity and uncertainty, but somehow it's easy to let make that stop you from thinking about what you can do. Um, and especially in the topic that Therese and I work in, there's a lot of uncertainty, but if we let that hold you back, nothing would ever happen. Sure. And how does ESG fit into leadership in, in 2022 health and Perhaps you could tell us a bit of why that's important to pension schemes. Well, pensions really is one of the most long-term business models. You're really looking at, you know, the future when people retire. That can be tomorrow, but can also be in 20, 30, 40 years' time, depending on your customer. And with that long-term future in mind, most CEOs will today already agree that sustainability is linked to the long-term success of your of your business. How are you going to be relevant to all of your stakeholders, not just today and next quarter, but much further into the future? And that's really where the case for sustainability comes in. The point about in- integrating it into the tone top from the top, echoed through the middle, and then part of all of your business processes, really. For pensions, this links to the concept of fiduciary duty, you know, ensuring that you, uh, those who manage other people's money, act in the beneficiary's best interest rather than serving their own interests. And where the market is moving to is that failing to consider long-term investment value drivers, which include sustainability, responsible investment, or what you could call environmental, social, and governance issues. And investment practice is a failure of that fiduciary duty. And Therese, how has leadership evolved to get to this point? I think it's been an interesting development or journey, uh, dare I say, in in the um, asset management industry in that it's sort of shifted from being all about what the ESG teams can do, what the responsible investment teams do, to how do we transform our investment capabilities? And in order to transform our investment capabilities in a way that we make Uh, truly integrated investment decisions and that we can demonstrate that back to organizations such as, you know, Hilke's uh, organization is really about finding people and ensuring that there are leaders in the investment capabilities that can drive this forward. And I think that goes from everything from your CIO office down to perhaps junior analysts that are coming on board and want to sort of help the business do better and do more in this space. And that's definitely developed. It's improved over the last couple of years. But I I do think we have some way to go 
to kind of get that right. And I think it links partly into the way we organize ourselves from a governance perspective, from an organizational perspective, but it's also a bit about culture and it's about the top-down messaging and the tone as much as the the, the bottom-up initiative. I'd completely echo that. Um, I feel like business leadership is really starting to evolve a lot more to understand this link and integrate that into governance process, Therese mentioned. Um, And there's some really interesting developments also from a regulatory perspective, be that talk about the Better Business Act and reviewing the role of the board, particularly with regards to Section 172 of the Companies Act. So moving from just promoting the success of the company to advancing the purpose of the company. We also see this in the pension space a lot from um, certain regulation relating to sustainability reporting, things like TCFD reporting, the task force on climate related financial disclosures explicitly asks that trustees, boards, decision makers take ownership and oversight over things like climate change and, and sustainability. And then on the other hand, we've got, I see a major change coming through from the Financial Reporting Council, UK Stewardship Code, which is a piece of soft regulation not mandatory, but really helping shift the narrative and practice across the market in terms of integrating sustainability and responsible investment into leadership and across the business. And, and Hilke, you, I mean, you and I have both worked on a couple of different fronts in this industry and, of course, done a lot of work with, with companies. And, I mean, I'd be interested to, to hear what if you agree with me on this, but we've kind of moved from a world where we just look for metrics and commitments and targets to really think about whether there is the leadership in companies to actually deliver on those targets. And I think it's partially that insight and focus that has sort of also turned the lights on ourselves thinking, well, how do we deliver actually on our stewardship commitments and our integration commitments? You can't deliver on this just by addressing one part of the system. And that's where that leadership question, I think, has is coming in and, and, and has become so important. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, I think, the key thing, themes that we're seeing emerging in this space is that it's no longer a topic you can just delegate to one single team that sits somewhere in the, in the business. It needs to go into and be central to corporate strategy. It's kind of untenable for leadership to just delegate this without getting themselves involved. We ask questions about this from the asset managers that we work with. And the key question we're trying to understand is, how is it integrated? How are you setting up yourself up to achieve what you claim that you're achieving? Who has oversight of this? And how is the business geared to support the goals of, of its clients? And can I just pick you up on that? You know, to how often, and to what extent, are pension schemes themselves asking questions about the leaders themselves who are in charge of enacting issue transition? That be that with investors or with the companies that they're invested in themselves. How much does that come up uh, in your interactions with trustees? I'd say more and more. We also, as a pension provider, get asked this question by consultants. They want to know a lot of detail, the role our board plays, how we're organized, how we train them, these kinds of things. And in turn, we ask the questions. So governance and oversight is absolutely key. I want to ensure that the decision makers have sufficient literacy on this. So we'll ask say how many of our asset managers have firm-wide training, 85% do. Um, We'll ask about how it's truly integrated into decision-making, things like how well-resourced is your responsible investment team, how effectively is it embedded into portfolio management, 
the answer is this varies very widely and the size of the RI team isn't necessarily the only determinant of how well it's integrated into decision making. So it is a, a growing space and I do think that regulation and things like the UK stewardship code is really driving this up onto the to the agenda of trustees. Theresa, anything to add? No, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with Hilke. I mean, I, one point that I guess, you know, I'd like to add to is when it comes to the assessment and consideration for the quality of integration by managers, it's been encouraging to see the evolution of focus away from just speaking to the responsible investment team to actually get in a room with those people that have been sort of pointed as having responsibilities against responsible investment. I mean, this is increasingly a question on that we get in, in questionnaires more broadly in the industry, but the important thing is to actually direct the questions to these people in charge and let them explain back how this works in practice, because then I think you're able to separate true leadership and commitment from, I think, what is sort of a forced kind of uh, or, or an understanding that in order to be competitive, we, we need to sort of look a certain way. And it's hard for asset owners to really separate the leaders from the laggards and those firms that are truly integrated. So that's been positive to see that that's happening. I guess there's an element of relationship building here as, as part of you know affecting change. And I'm interested when you see regular turnover, for example, at board level, um, how that can impact schemes, company, or indeed a company's ability to engage with ESG and what that means for schemes. So I guess, uh, Teresa, how do you go about then rebuilding or starting even that relationship and, and starting off on the front foot that, you know, that how important ESG is to, to, the, to you as an investor? Of course, stability and in some ways tenure of people in roles, et cetera, can be really quite helpful. I mean, it's not just the way where we engage with our clients in that regard, but but also when we invest in companies. You know, there are some Asian markets, for example, where you have a rotation of key ESG directors and leaders every three years. And, you know, you sort of get some way through the engagement and then you're able to come back maybe three years later and that person has sort of checked out of the role a little bit. So keeping, keeping these roles short term, it can be quite problematic to try and achieve long-term change. But like you say, I mean, relationships don't are, are not just built with individuals. We build partnerships with organizations and, and we try and sort of connect across the board so that we're, we're not just tied up to, um, you know, a, a set of individuals. And, and, and I think that's an investment that a lot of managers are trying to do and, and sort of really create yeah, partnerships, as I said, that are long-standing, that build trust. And I think that's that's quite important. So the other point about board turnover relates to how you're bringing in diverse and different voices. Now, in today's world, that often might mean specific skill sets around some of the topics that Therese and I work on that are relevant com for the company, be that climate change or human rights or cybersecurity or digitalization, but equally making boards more representative of the groups that they serve. Um, for the majority of people who are in board positions, they will have had the vast majority of their career at a time when the link between sustainability and corporate performance would have been a lot less clear, a lot less well understood. So to an extent, boards can help improve their literacy of these topics by bringing in specialist skill sets and incorporating it into the board skills matrix or board evaluation. The other route, of course, is through training, education, exposure to what the business is looking to do and what's happening in the market. 
I mean, Teresa, you mentioned briefly the difference across different markets. I'm interested in how well different sort of geographical markets are doing in this respect, quality of leadership and their, their sort of quality of ESG leadership. Perhaps you could summarise, you know, which markets are, are faring particularly well and where which areas of the world might need a bit of help of. It's, it's been put to me in the past that, for example, on things like net zero targets, some emerging markets are needing some additional support in getting there and, and raising that as a priority. Yeah, no, I think the, the, the concept of net zero is understood and backed universally and globally, I, I, I would say. So it's it's maybe not a, a lack of support for that. I think the the way we are organized and, and the roles and responsibilities that we set up in organizations take different styles across different markets, right? And, and it doesn't have to to be between Europe and Asia, it can, it's it's also between the US and, and Europe, right, to, to, to an extent. You know, often when we engage with US companies, we have the general counsel on the phone, right? We, we have a representation from the legal teams more than perhaps we would have when we engage with the European companies. So, so there are those differences, those nuances out there. And I think what's important is that you don't want to necessarily sort of dictate or prescribe, right, what leadership needs to look like, how governance needs to be structured in different parts of the world. And I think we've sort of come to terms with that and learned that over the last couple of years, we're doing a lot of engagements uh, across the world. So I don't think necessarily that it has to be an issue that we engage with a company in emerging markets where the CEO hasn't explicitly taken accountability for ESG performance. I mean, it's something that we have a discussion about, but ultimately what you're interested in is an understanding and articulation by the executive team of how this is relevant to their business strategy and how they're able to demonstrate back to shareholders that the right work is happening, the right things are happening. So I I think that's really what we are looking for. And then we have to be tolerate of and, and cognizant of the fact that there will be different approaches to how we organize leadership. And uh, I mean, you, I guess it's one thing to make the point that leaders might not be doing enough, that they, they may have pledges, but they are sort of unable to evidence how they're getting towards these goals. But but what about outright opposition? I mean, again, you've talked about not being able to issue diktats, but where you have a company leadership that simply say, this is not and nor will be a priority for us as, you know, in the future, what then? Of course. I mean, it, it, let's be honest, there are definitely and certainly companies that does not have the right kind of leadership or hasn't made the commitment right in the right way to addressing these issues. And this is where you have to do the tough work around being perhaps more active and pressure more if you are an investor to try and see some change. And often that change, unfortunately, has to be in in sort of top level change in some way, right? Because it's just too ingrained in the organization. Ultimately, if that fails, you know, you are just left with the last uh, resort or, you know, last option, which is to step away or, or divest from that company. Mihil, could you have much experience of outright opposition to, to ESG at, at leadership level? I, what I would say is that companies are at very different stages in um, their both their understanding of what this means for them. Oftentimes also the understanding of the risk that's involved when we talk about net zero. That is actually one of the areas where we see in the industry there to be the most variety in terms of progress that different businesses are making in terms of 
understanding, you know, what's at stake for them, even in terms of the investment that they're putting into trying to understand that. So I think that's where this concept of opposition also comes from. Change is slow and vested interests sit um, deep. But what I would add to that, which I think is quite important, is that there is an important leadership component, I think, in ensuring that you don't just jump on the bandwagon, right, as as a company. So being bold and sort of speaking up and being transparent around what the challenges actually are for your industry, for your organization, and being honest about what can be achieved in the short term, rather than, you know, making long-term pledges around things which you're not going to be perhaps uh, around to sort of see through as a CEO. It takes less to make such a pledge than actually step up and be honest and transparent around what the real challenges are. So, So not being unsupportive of the movement or not sort of like wanting to be part of the group, but not necessarily just simply jumping on the bandwagon and making the same kind of really long-term pledges. And that's sort of, it's that, you know, I'm done as a, as a CEO or a leader in this space. That isn't the best quality I think we're looking for. And that it definitely echoes what we um, what we look for with the asset managers that we work with is what's your long-term ambition? Yes, but what is your short-term plan? What are you doing about this? right now. The other angle that I don't think is discussed anywhere near often enough is a really key part of the case for companies to look at this is the customer, the people, particularly in pensions, the the beneficiaries, people we serve. Our customer research shows that 73% of customers, even in this time of energy crisis and cost of living crisis, agree that climate change is an important risk to consider when investing for the future. Listening to the customer and the concerns that the population has around these topics also is important. Well, that is unfortunately all we've got time for. Thank you very much uh, for joining us both. And if you would like to to listen, watch or read more about ESG and pension schemes, please visit our website at www.pensions-expert.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.